to another episode, episode four Hey-o. of All the Horrible Things. I am your host, one of your hosts, Chris Pagnozzi, and with me is Ian and Jay. And today we are focusing on tech-based horror, which we were kind of inspired to do because both of us have just gobbled up Archive 81, which is hitting big on Netflix right now. Archive eighty one. That's uh, to me. I think is if if uh, if there was still a water cooler situation going on, people would be talking about Archive eighty one around this water cooler. Um, uh, I, I I was a big fan. Uh, I really had no idea what it was about. Anything going into it, mm-hmm. uh, I did know that James Wan was uh, around it. He was uh, the producer. And then I did a little research and found out that it was this hit podcast, which right. <laughs> I feel embarrassed that I did. I haven't heard which I it. Guess I, I has uh, a lot of differences from what I've been reading. And it makes me very curious oh, to go and actually listen to it because from what I'm reading online is the people who love the podcast are dissatisfied with the show. So this is the equivalent of the book readers being upset about the film exactly, adaptation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a new thing. This is, uh, I like the podcast better. Yeah, That's, I mean, I definitely made me curious. There's a lot of elements that have changed, specifically the lead character, Melody. She is um, an LGBT character versus our very hetero girl here in Archive 81. That's a really it's a, big it interesting... It is, because it's a big part of what goes on in the show. Um, her attraction to one of the nefarious fellows and then the betrayal there. Uh, I'm curious right. what sort of dynamics play out in the podcast instead of what we saw oh man i would i would love to know what they were thinking on that one additionally another big part because archive 81 uh leans heavily on demonology i guess you could say perhaps i wasn't clear on what i was reading but it made it seem like there was not demon stuff in the podcast as obvious at least as in the show and it was something something different that was I guess they're kind of calling it the static, more of a, a monster than or a static being oh, interesting. than what we clearly get that this is a god, right? That's somehow able to be summoned when there's a comet that's coming by the earth at a specific <laughs> right. time. Um, so I'm curious how the podcast deals with the origin of this static monster too, because I'll be honest with you, when I suggested we talk about this, it was after I'd seen the first two episodes, which I loved and yes. I had goosebumps all over the place with it. I didn't want to watch it alone, honestly, because it was it was freaking me out these first couple episodes. I will say the last two episodes were not good for me. For, for me. As a whole, I, I like the series, but I really felt like they dropped the ball in the, in the latter episodes. And I and I guess half the first half of the season was written by uh, a certain team and the second half was written by another team oh interesting you know what i think i would have liked to have known uh, was maybe even at the beginning when i first started watching this if there was going to be another season and and i think that may have helped me through those last couple episodes as well i I too was not the the biggest fan of how the second half of this season played out um i'm really curious i really want to listen to the podcast now and and focus on maybe we didn't need the demonology because we're listening and our, our brains are doing most of the work and, and coming up with our own idea of what the static monster looks like. But obviously with a hit television show, you need, you need something to, to visually represent yeah. the evil. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it probably plays to a broader audience and uh, 
it's less ambiguous than maybe what's going on in the podcast. But right. Let's talk about why do you think it's such a huge hit on Netflix right now in the top ten now since uh, it came out? Well, I think you know with the the um, the, the success of all of these true crime and mystery mm. podcasts going on right now, uh, I think there's this new wave of just really good sci-fi mysteries uh yeah. that are they're popping up um on television especially i think if you looked at like basic cable nbc and abc are really doubling down on on you know mysterious sci-fi shows uh i i would have to guess that it was because of this this podcast genre that, that is really um creating the serialized mystery yeah no it's interesting that you bring up you were wondering if it's going to continue on and the sense I'm getting is right. that it is. Um, but yeah. I will say I liked it so much early on as it was coming to a close. I was telling myself, I kind of want it to wrap up because I want answers and I want to feel like yeah. it's yeah. nothing's left hanging because it was already so much left up in the air that uh, it was a, a little troubling when, when we got to that end, but we'll talk about that in a second. How would, how would you like describe it to people? Because when I, when I kind of, Oh, I didn't know you had already seen it. I, I, I thought it was like The Shining meets The Ring would be like the best mashup because okay. it has such a um, focus on the location, specifically in the present. Actually, in the past, mm. in the Visor uh, apartment building, but then that secluded location where he's actually fixing the tapes. I loved being right. there for the majority of the show. I found that a very compelling location. Yeah, that location sort of reminded me of the the main setting of the um, sci-fi movie Ex Machina. Mm, yes, um, that sort of took place in this uh, new. It was it like contemporary location? It was like built in the '60s, but almost modernized, which is also a really weird thing about sci-fi. I think that 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 setting really works. It's almost like combining the the old and the new um, as a setting uh, with all the, the cameras. Uh, yeah, no, it was an, a really uh, fascinating compound, and it actually reminds me, apparently, like as a big part of it is this like uh, church that's kind of built into it. That, like the, right, right, That's right. not in the podcast at all. There's no Christian stuff at all in the podcast, apparently, which I found interesting. Well, I think when they, they introduce this, you know, evil that that is represented by demon stuff you have to counterpart it with with the good and the light right um oh and he did demand to have access to that claiming he needed that spiritual space himself which then enabled him to get right all the archives yeah yeah it worked as a writing device for the characters true True. (laughs) well let's talk about how how compelling the main dude is are this uh uh, i really don't know how to pronounce his name so i apologize if i butcher it here mamudu athi uh, as our character Dan Turner, I mean, I was totally on board with him throughout the whole thing. He was just so stoic. He, with yeah. the exception to maybe the the final episode where it's not his fault. There was no overacting. I thought he was nailing it and really adding an intensity uh, via his performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the main reasons I was pulled in was because of his performance. I mean, you're following this guy who you know, has this, this, what they kept describing as like a breakdown, mm. um, but ha- still had it together, you know, like you really believed 
this character. His, I mean, this actor was was fantastic, and I, you know, I think we have a new star in our hand. I think if someone else was in this role, it wouldn't have been as successful. Certainly not someone that we um, were familiar right. with. I, I, yeah, I thought it was just great. No, he carried it. He carried it. There were a lot of other good players, including his buddy, who I hadn't seen before, but I guess who was uh, he's in some ABC show, How to Get Away with Murder, I think. The, his best buddy, oh. Matt Migori, who plays Mark. Really fun character, too, I'll admit. Uh, yeah. In the early episodes, it was like, oh, he's definitely one of the bad guys. He's he's right. in on I it. was just about to say. I was just about to say that, and that you know is attributed to his his performance. But I thought the same thing. I thought this guy is uh, it's got a better deal going on with somebody else, and he's willing to throw his friend under the bus. Right. But it was actually refreshing to see how far he went for his buddy. I mean, it was it was a solid bromance yeah. in the end that w- was really kind of a complex one too, because his buddy is like super rich, has his own horror podcast too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> they, they had an interesting dynamic. And I, at the end of it was rooting for their budship. Yeah. I think um, knowing that, I mean, it takes place in New York and I, and I think when we first see his friend's apartment, my first, my question to myself was, how could this guy afford this place? It was massive. And everything that I've heard about New York is everything is small. So yeah. you knew from the get-go that this guy is uh, has got some money. Yes. Yeah. Trust fund JP probably. But yeah, I mean, willing to use that money to help his friend, that was... Yeah, no, it was, it was refreshing. Like I said, it was an interesting, you know, secondary male part that caught me off guard. I was expecting it to go a little more cliche than it did. So I did appreciate that. Well, so that's yeah. in our what did you presence. Think about- Are you going to talk about yes. the Visser? So we're going back to 1994, I think it was, um, which is where our secondary story is taking place. This is where the story yes. in which uh, is put on these VHS tapes that he's been tasked to um, repair and make playable again because they kind of burnt up or they were subject to smoke um, after the Visser apartment building burned down right. back in 1994. Um, so we have our we have our two, our main girl, Melody, played by Dina Shihabi, and then her best buddy, who I thought was next to our main dude, Dan, maybe my favorite part of it, uh, Julia Chan is Annabelle. I thought... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not likely, but she should get a supporting nod because I really enjoyed uh, her performance. Yeah. She, her character goes through a lot huge huge arc there um from the get-go she played that best friend uh so well that you thought they actually had this history together yeah uh but i think yeah as far as like uh, any characters that have gone through the most change i think she showed more than some of the like the leading characters i completely agree i honestly think she softened melody's character for me uh yeah. i don't think it was probably easy to seem like you were friends with melody because she was so melody in a way that i didn't really like <laughs> to be honest with you it was just, it was a yeah. struggle following her i wanted to care more about her but frankly dan watching her and caring for what was happening made me care for her too and then you had that backed up by her buddy annabelle so she was kind of i feel like saved by her ensemble yeah yeah, I would say that's exactly right. You nailed it right there. That because of Dan's obsession and care for her, 
it really made it uh, a lot easier for us to, to want to see her succeed as well. What did you think about the um, the 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 villain Samuel? Creepy uh, dude, super creepy dude. He looks super creepy dude. Very familiar to me, but I couldn't place him myself. Have you seen him in other yeah. stuff? Yeah, I feel like I knew him from something else as well, but I don't think I I do. Uh, I thought he was a good performance. Uh, I will say, um, from the get-go, you know, you're, you're like, something's off about this yeah. guy. Even when she first enters the viscer and he's just standing out there, something is off about Absolutely. him. Absolutely. So, so even the moments where you're supposed to think like, oh, maybe they do like each other. I'm like, no, 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 This isn't working. Yeah, their this whole relationship I felt was ham-handed, and it does make sense given that they're, they didn't have one in the podcast, so it was kind of forced. I didn't feel their chemistry at all. Uh, no. But granted, when they do have that episode where it seems like something might take off, he then gets with one of his fellow cult members in the basement after arguably the creepiest scene in it for me, which was the basement first ritual where they're all there just humming that melody, that oh yeah, scary little yeah. ditty that they do. Um, I don't know. For some reason, that really got me. And then the statue that was in the vestibule thing. Oh, my goodness. You never really get a close-up of it, but it just looked horrifying i don't know it just looked really really creepy to me yeah i thought they did a good job of giving this statue this um archaeological history to it that you know that could have been dug up it it looked real um i certainly wanted to know more about it they especially when they get go you find uh, it's in the cabinet and they they just lock it up you're it was it was a good way to to keep the audience guessing, and I'm I'm assuming in the podcast there was no statue. I'm or, not sure about to be honest with you. Yeah. It was such a central part of the show, though. I'm, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts, was, especially when you see the effects when they finally do the ritual with the blood like going the opposite of gravity. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. going up that and was around. One of my favorite effects for sure. That reminded me of the um, the blade. Was it Blade Three or was it the first Blade where like uh, they oh, needed all the blood right. to to run through the right. for Frost? Or is, is there it... something similar uh, that happens at the end of Cabin in the Woods too, where all the was it, was archetypal the, the sacrifices and... blood has to be? Anyways. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, I thought I thought uh, that was pretty effective, uh, but I'm gonna take back that that was the scariest scene because honestly, for me at the end of Episode One when we first get our look at this static demon when he's looking at the footage, the first time you see that really got me. Like, I know it's it's a trope. It's almost cliche to see it. I just thought the design yeah. of this head looks both alien and demonic at the same time, which kind of makes sense if it's yeah. associated with this uh, comet. He's coming from yeah outer space in some ways, you know? There's associations there. But just that shape of the head, man. Oh, my goodness. I'd be really curious to find out, you know, you and I grew up where TV static was a normal mm. thing. Uh, even as a kid, you find yourself sometimes trying to stare through it. But that's no longer a thing now that, you know, True. television's coming through a different way. I'm curious if it's more effective or less effective to somebody who is, you know, didn't grow up with tv static is it is it creepier for them to figure out there's a image within the 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 static i'd I'd really like to find that out uh i I think it probably holds up 
Uh, and plus, just like, I mean, some people haven't even watched VCRs, you know, or VHS on VCRs, where right. you get those static lines, which are kind of yeah. disturbing in their in their own right and give it such a feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Poltergeist, I think, really highlighted static being hor- yeah. hor- horrifying. Uh, the best. You're right. And then, of course, there's that Michael Keaton movie from 2005, where he's hearing white, white noise. noise, and then yeah. demons <laughs> are able to communicate through yeah. that, so... I don't know. The blue screen is still pretty <laughs> scary. No, just the yeah. plain old blue screen. That, that's still around, though. I think is so. I... But certainly not the DVD bouncing stuff. Or yeah, we don't. They don't have the same sort no. of static images that they did then. It's a shame. That is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably not a shame. <laughs> that means they're getting a better picture than we Even ever the had. Color bars back on those old TVs—that was kind of a freaky thing. You, yeah. Sometimes that yeah. meant there was like an actual emergency. Sometimes it was like an emergency going around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like a purge was about to start. Yeah, when there's not fluid moving images on a TV, it's just it's unsettling in some way. Well, there's something just very interesting about just the idea. I mean. I think this goes back to some of the older sci-fi movies that even with an audio waveform, you know, that, that there is a message coming through. Um, the, the, it's the unknown, right? right. That, that, that the idea that something could be traveling through a broadcast is uh, still, still very creepy, which is, I think is why this is so successful. Uh, we don't know what's on the other side of a black hole. To me, it's reminiscent of that. You know, that's true. Like, that's true. We don't know on the other side very exciting very exciting um anything not do it for you because i was going to mention another thing i i read that was driving some of the podcast fans uh a a little nuts if you notice it's not consistent when she's filming them and when he's watching what she's filming because about 50 percent of the time she's pointing the camera at the ground and then what he's looking at is a dead-on shot so that was a little maddening from a production standpoint for me. Um, I, yeah, I, I could definitely see what you mean by that. I, I, I think one of the things that bothered me, at least from the start, maybe it was just frustration, was that it didn't necessarily make sense how Dan was seeing some of this. You know, like, like does it happen when he sleeps? He's walking throughout this compound and then all of a sudden it's changed around him. And like, I, I wish I, there was a little bit more explanation about this blend, blending of the, these two worlds. I completely um, agree. And the biggest example of what WTF stuff with time, I felt like was when he's watching the video of the um, psychic woman relaying the conversation that they literally just had oh, right, with her spectral right. being. Um, from the other dimension, then he pops the tape back in, and and there it is, exactly what they just said coming through her. Uh, it's like right. what was on that tape then before? Yeah, I don't know. Like, did it manifest? Yeah, then, was, or how does that work? That was a little confusing. I, I will say, <laughs> the actor who played the psychic. Oh my goodness. Uh, there were some really creepy scenes with with her, especially with the the scratching oh of the gosh. face. Yes. Very well done. Even she was right in bed after she'd scratched her own face off pretty much. You can't even see her eyes. Oh, yeah. And you got Melody next to her bed. And she's telling her, don't let it out. Don't let it out. Yeah. Don't let that freaking alien demon out. What's the name of the demon? For some reason, that's invading me right now. 
that's like a great Kagar something. I know what was funny is the name of the comment is Kron, but then when I saw like it written, it just I was like, oh, of course the, the comment would be named Karen, you know, Karen the comment. <laughs> Karen, I was thinking Elron Hubbard. Oh, this makes sense. Yep, yep. Good old could, could be something there. Could be something there. Too true. Uh, no, I I don't remember the 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 demon's actual name though. Ah, uh, yeah. I guess it's it's not that important. That's okay. Um, last two people I want to talk about, though, are on the uh, one end of the spectrum. Each of them, uh, in terms of kind of good and evil, we got Jess, who's ultimately supposed to be the sacrifice at the ceremony in the nineties. Right. Essentially, what what right. acts as the second ceremony in the entirety of the show. You have one ceremony to bring forth this demon uh, back in the nineteen twenties, I believe, mm-hmm. and then again in the nineties, and then of course in our final episode they do it again and it it's a lot easier this time because they have an insider helping them <laughs> i got a witch i've got a witch exactly the badung one of the badung yeah the wiccans names um <laughs> do you like jess i thought she was good for a child actor oh i thought she was fun yeah like yeah i i uh, I found myself caring more about her than our Completely. main characters at times. Completely. You know? Yes. I did care way more about her than Melody. But, you know, the fact that Melody cared so much about Jess once again made her character more acceptable for me. Yeah. Like the other end of the yeah. spectrum, though, we got the guy who kind of sets us all in motion, at least in our present day context, uh, Martin Donovan's Virgil. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I like him as an actor. Yeah. What do you remember uh, him the most from? Because I really only remember him from Weeds. Oh, okay. Um, man, I, he's one of those guys that I feel like I've seen yeah, in so many things. Um, yeah, I think he's 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 just in everything. Yeah, and he always <laughs> tends to have this kind of brooding, ominous presence. I thought he was effectively cast in this one. Um, I think, yeah, he's always got this ambiguous thing about him where you're like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? He's always walking that line. And I didn't necessarily buy him as uh, him and the other character being brothers. No, I'm with you there. (laughs) I mean, that was that was an interesting casting choice for that. I. um, Yeah, because he doesn't come off half as creepy as his younger brother. Samuel. No. And interestingly no. enough, I'm hoping that this was consciously done, but Virgil is a character um, most important to uh, Dante's Inferno. He's the one that walks our protagonist through hell. Oh. So he's kind of like, I'm hoping that connection is actually there. Yeah, that's it's a good call. Classic. That's a good call. Okay, we got to talk about uh, the end, though. My goodness. Yes, I was just going to say, oh, because yeah. it was, it gets just very... Okay, are you talking about the actual end that feels like a post credit scene, or are you uh, talking talk about, about like the whole, the, the, perf- like yeah, all of it. Let's talk about all, all yeah. that goes down okay. in the latter half of that final episode. Um, so we didn't need to, there didn't need to have to be sacrifices, right? In the first two ceremonies, right. there is an innocence. It seemed like like a virgin character that gets slaughtered to then yeah. bring forth our alien uh, demon um, yes. from another dimension, which. It was unclear to me too what was going on there because <laughs> yeah it was very unclear he did have yes. the capacity sometimes to start to pop through the tv a la samara 
but it's like could he yeah. go all the way if he wanted to or do you do you not have to do this ceremony and it was just a thing to creep us out you know right. that it was unclear about and that was obviously the biggest connection to the ring was yes it kept popping out it was effective though i mean some people are saying it was corny cgi but i i don't know it got me oh i don't think they i i thought i thought it, it looked pretty cool um i think anytime you're you're pushing through static it's gonna look weird anyway but uh you do have to wonder like is <laughs> is he so close through the television static that he couldn't just come through there I know. instead of this major production <laughs> of uh waiting for a comment yeah uh so actually the comment stuff bit... was all bs too right because uh ultimately our they our character Donovan yeah, was don't... able to emulate the circumstances tech with technology there at the end. Correct. So he had the witch Correct. and he had the bypass with the tech and the comet was superfluous yeah. at that point. And I, and I think you've got to, you've got to see that they're really just making fun of the idea of what people believed in the past, <laughs> you know, like the things that they would do, like the actual sacrifices in human history that they would actually occurred to a comet or to something that, that it had no, you know, it had <laughs> nothing to do with what they were actually trying to accomplish. Mm. It was just sad that they thought, you know, killing somebody was going to, going to get them what they wanted. So yeah, then we got our buddies, they go down and they're going to do it because he's now totally obsessed, like you said, with Melody to the point he's going to put his own life on the line and yeah. get into the plane of existence that she's trapped in, right? And his buddy comes along. Right. And then the next thing we know, Bobby, the Badung witch, pops down there and she's looking real mean, holding a gun, looking like she's about right. to just take him out. And then... It's like, oh, we all want the same thing. Cool, you know that. Was... <laughs> yeah, this is convenient. Yeah, <laughs> that was frustrating for me. It's like, why are you guys yeah. on the same page? I don't really understand why you care that yeah. Martin Donovan's almost <sighs> dead. It's like, what? I kind of wish they would have given us something a little bit more. I, I think as an audience, we knew something else was going on with her. Yeah, um, that she's potentially the mother, but. She shows up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of questions there that, like, Virgil knew who she was. Mm -hmm. You know, just just some weird stuff. So Virgil did know that she was Badung, that she was a witch? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, how does he not know? The guy knows everything. Right, because he has vials and vials of Badung blood, which is essential to the ritual. Right. Housed in that big fridge. I just wish they kind of would have explained like uh, her being at the right place at the right time fit a little bit better. I completely agree with you on that one. Um, yeah. But all, okay. So end to end he's able, they're successfully able to open the portal and Dan jumps in and he's kind of like seduced then because apparently this demon is lonely and he needs a friend to <laughs> hang out with him. It was funny. Yeah. Cause that's what Bobby essentially said. She's all like, yeah, he's going to try and keep you with some some trickery, so don't fall for it. Yeah. But I will admit, it yeah. was creepy. He had his old family there. He's himself is older, but then he's got his younger sisters there now and his dad and his mom. And I feel really bad for the actress who played his mom because she had all of a scene and a half in the whole series. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But it was, I thought it was effective, him kind of like waking up to, oh, okay, wait a minute, I'm under kind of the spell. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that you saw in the movie um, Insidious, mm. where Patrick Wilson's character has to go into the, I forget what they, they got a really great name for it. It's it's like the uh, the further. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It potentially, where, you know, it looks like the lights are off <laughs> everywhere you go. Uh, and... Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna get tricked. You're gonna want to have to stay there. Which there's got to be some sort of more biblical meaning there. Like the devil will do anything to to get your soul. Uh, but I, I do like the fact that they did bring his family back. Because what what could this guy possibly need? You know, yeah. like he's just offered a ton of money to do a job. Like, but the thing that's missing in his life is his actual connection to his family and not knowing what happened to them. Right. So that is- I did I did enjoy that scene right there. If we're gonna knock this, you know, ending, that was the one, that was one of the thing that I for sure. Yes, uh, exactly. I agree. So then he goes and he finds Melody trapped there, and she's coloring in her coloring book or whatever. What's she doing? She's on the church yeah, floor. Yeah, she's in the church. Um, she's waiting. Okay. She's essentially waiting. I think she's been waiting this entire for time, right? There's to right, and there's this whole. Okay time difference right time moves differently mm-hmm. here yes of course so she still looks exactly the same as she did in the 90s right and then yeah. they're trying to find a way out and they're listening for the ring of the tuning fork which is creepy i right. love a good tuning fork yeah. infused into any tuning horror. forks yeah. yeah um so then we get we to the most more. prickly moment play it out for me how, how what happened there so they, they hear the ringing so you're talking about how Samuel yeah. just appeared. Samuel's stuck that, there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Samuel's brother been there this entire time. I don't like how they didn't. I mean, where is he? Where has he been? Right. Like, wouldn't he have been right there with Melody? I, I don't know. I mean, that was a little too convenient for me. Like that whole last bit there was like, choose the door. Um, and, and and Samuel, uh, which also, I don't like that they didn't show us what happened to him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, so Melody makes it through the correct door. Right. And uh, Dan doesn't. Well, here's what I don't understand, too, is wouldn't Samuel want to be there? Doesn't he like this demon guy? Isn't this, isn't this like yeah, his, he tried everything to get to him? Yes. And now he's going to yes. run out, essentially saving Melody by going through that door? Yeah. Like grabbing her. These are questions that have to be answered in a season they two. Do. There are some theories they out have there. to be. Um, I felt a little validated because my initial instinct was, okay, if she made it back to the present, he went back yeah. to the 90s, maybe Samuel got sent back to the 20s. Where the three openings of the portal were, maybe each of them went back and they got a time paradox, so he's going to go all the way back to the 1921 and be reemerged back then when it was first done. Uh, otherwise okay. he should have showed up with Melody, right? He should have been there when yeah. Melody came back. And then Dan getting sucked into 1990s didn't make sense to me, but there's also the possibility Dan didn't make it out. Dan is still in there. Well, that that's where where my brain's going, right? Because he was in the 90s already. That's where he found melody right mm-hmm. and, they, and they confirm that by showing us the world trade right. center uh 
and he just wakes up in a different room. So I, I, I think he's just still there. He's stuck still. I, I would, I would yeah. prefer that to be the case. But to me, it really felt like they were making it seem like he's, he's back in the real world in the 90s and just went through the wrong portal. Yeah. But I don't so, know. Yeah, yeah. The Samuel question is the bigger thing. question for me. Because yes, where is Samuel? 100%. Why did Samuel want to leave? Was he dissatisfied with his God? I guess. Maybe he's been neglected. To, uh, although, how long has it felt like he's been there? That's mm. the real question. Oh, that's a good point. You know, maybe it's only felt like he's been there 10 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the confusing things. It's the same thing. It's the same problem sometimes we have when you've got like a time travel movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, the paradise. That you've, you've got. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's like, okay, the, the writers are controlling what we see, but we as an audience have to know some of those rules. Otherwise, we're, we're a little confused. Right. That's okay. I'm compelled enough to want to see the next season. I would have preferred to have it all wrapped up in a nice little bow to be done with yes. it because I really uh, don't know how yeah. the second season is going to work. Yeah, having said all of that, I still enjoyed it to the point where I want to see more. Yes. Yeah. Mostly because I just want to see more of some of these characters, which are, are really strong. Yeah. See some of the characters, get some questions answered, and um, punch a demon in the face. Yes. Who doesn't want to do that? But most importantly, <laughs> Archive 81 got us to think about all the tech in previous horror. What's led up to this point that's right. alive on Netflix right. right now that's made it such a big hit? And there's there's a, f a fairly big number, but I would say in the grand scheme of things, tech horror is a smaller subgenre than other subgenres. It's more niche. I think it's probably harder to sell. Yeah, it, it is. And you can look at a, a specific um, decade and maybe the technology wasn't there yet, you know? So looking back on it, it doesn't hold up. Yes. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'm going to take that opportunity to talk about please. the film that I found that was the oldest that was both horror and tech uh, hybrid. Is called Demon yeah. Seed from 1977. And I don't recognize okay, any yes. of the people in it. So we got B, B actors in it. Um, some surprisingly what looked like expensive effects. I'll admit that. And it took itself crazy seriously. But what I didn't realize is I had seen this premise in a Simpsons episode and didn't realize that they were spoofing Demon Seed. So ultimately an AI oh, okay. is created back then. Uh, by the scientist who wants to create the AI so ultimately he can help with diseases and, you know, for altruistic uh, motives. But he's in a, getting a divorce with his wife, too. So he leaves her at home and this AI essentially latches onto the computers at his house that he's not and he's no longer like there. And it pretty much just takes over the house and traps this woman in there, becomes obsessed with his ex-wife. To the point where he wants her to have his baby or its baby. <laughs> so it's so ridiculous because we're talking about computers and electronics from the late 70s. So literally you yeah. have a wheelchair with a robotic arm attached to it and a camera on the top <laughs> yeah. that's moving around and controlling her. Um, and you can shoot lasers out of 
uh, like light sockets and stuff. Absolutely absurd. Can shut all the windows. Um, it was worth watching. It, it belongs with a um, mystery science theater. It needs to be watched as a mystery science theater film because there was so much absurdity going on in this and there are multiple right. scenes of this robot wheelchair uh like violating the main woman it's like i didn't even know what i was it was like hard to watch uh i mean it's not like super graphic by any means but what's insinuated is ridiculous and then they'll cut to scenes when he's essentially inseminating her with his robot spermies uh and then it goes into this like uh, couldn't that be just like some battery acid <laughs> he he's got he got multiple like instruments to use and then eventually the instruments that's nice <laughs> eventually he becomes more of this like um cube-esque being that is able to okay. move around and it's kind of reminds me of like an old child's toy with different shapes that you can move around so it's like this big metal uh, apparatus that then has like dominant control over the space too so it can actually like knock people over and that's where the baby after it's grown in her um is then kind of like further grown in this machine and then it comes out and it's like half machine half baby but then as they get closer to it, they like are able to peel away the machine parts and it's just a little baby. But it of course, does it's a normal baby. <laughs> well, actually, it's not even a baby because this machine has made it so that the uh, child was growing at like nine times the speed. So in 28 days, it pops out of the woman. And then when it goes into the incubator, that's the machine. Then it comes out of that like a six year old girl. You know, it's not even a baby. She's a girl. It was at first right. I thought like. They tried to make it look like there's wires coming from her head, but it was just this big, long red hair of this this little <laughs> robot girl. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than avoid it or don't. Yeah, I think the the weirdest thing about this movie is it's based off of a Dean Koontz book. Is it? Oh, that explains yeah. a lot. The yeah. Evil House. I know this Simpsons episode, too. Right? Did you know that that was based on... Uh, no, no, I kept thinking it was, or if, if I'm thinking of the right episode, I, I thought it was making fun of like, uh, Space Odyssey. Oh, yes, um, yes. Well, in this movie, there are a lot of scenes that that's what I was trying to come up with Space Odyssey esque imagery, where it's like going yeah, through space, yeah. especially during the insemination stuff. Like, you then are suddenly in the womb and seeing like a robot dick penis thing come into Probe. the redness and then there's triangles floating everywhere it's ridiculous nothing oh, sexy boy. about it at all uh, no. yeah so that's demon seed 1977 that's kind of when it began in the 80s though there's yeah. there's a good chunk more um oh sure the, i mean one of my favorite 80s horror films uh chopping mall is oh. you know uh you know technology running amok in a, in a mall because there was nothing more popular in the 80s than a shopping mall. And uh, they introduce a new security system and it's just a, a fleet of these robots because in the 80s, robots were all the rage. You've got... Um, <laughs> You've got uh, the, the the robot in, in Rocky <laughs> that 
as a kid, I was like, oh, man, I want a robot. For sure. Even, yeah, like, the I, stuffed um, animals had robotic implants, like Teddy Ruxpin and stuff. They were, they were all getting... Oh, yeah. They were getting hybridized. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just so funny that, that the 80s was so, you know, set on advancing technology, and, 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 and to an extent it did, but nothing like... <laughs> nothing life uh changing like the early 2000s or you know with the iphone um you would think that would spawn more horror movies uh the iphone but no the 80s spun um uh chopping mall uh terror vision uh yeah that's yeah, not a, what i'm not a, familiar with are you familiar with terror vision uh yeah i've seen terror vision it's been a long time since i've seen terror vision but yeah it, it, it's it's very campy okay. it's um it's almost like if you remember peewee's playhouse yeah. it kind of reminds you of like this over the over the top oh interesting peewee's playhouse monster uh hmm. yeah yeah um yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a ton in the '80s that we could we could talk about. But, yeah, the only one I wanted to um, mention in the '80s beyond that, because we're going to talk more about his films later, is Cronenberg's Videodrome, which now is kind of I think a struggle for me to watch, mostly because James Wood is the star. I was going to say the same thing. I hate I James, James Woods, James Woods too. Um, but when I did watch it initially, I didn't know what a crackpot he was and a horrible person. And Correct. I was able to stomach it more and it's it is kind of groundbreaking you ultimately have video that gives people malignant tumors because what they're watching is like the worst stuff to be watching so it's like kind of a moralistic body horror with and it has one of the most memorable uh shocking scenes with the stomach and the and the James Woods got his hand like, ugh. It's, yes. I mean that's Cronenberg for, for you. sure. And the undulating TV, you can't go can't go wrong with anamorphic TVs. Uh, I think it, it did <laughs> right. what it was trying to do pretty well. But yeah, then let's just right. jump to the '90s, and uh, I tortured myself this week and <laughs> watched uh, Lawnmower Man from 1992, a Stephen King book. Um, what I'm going to say is I, I got through it, so it wasn't like the worst you did have pierce brosnan which i found funny because when we're talking about that episode of the simpsons where the house is demonic that's pierce brosnan's voice of the house oh boy the voice of the house in demon seed is not nearly that's as right. charismatic but yeah lawnmower man you have pierce brosnan who's also working on um ai sort of stuff that gets infused essentially like the matrix what happens in the matrix where they're able to just kind of like shoot knowledge into your brain right so he picks like the right. biggest dolt uh, that he can find and this Jeff Leahy's character and starts, this is after he kind of has a falling out with the company he's working for because the army or the armed services are trying to take advantage of what he's doing to use it for militaristic means. Um, so they right. end up killing one of his chimps. So he's out and he goes on his own, takes this dolt that's lawnmower man around the community and essentially just imbues him with <laughs> So much knowledge, too much knowledge. Suddenly, too much. he's getting laid because he is like, he's just oozing confidence now. Um, and, and Nothing sexier than, you know, intelligence. There, there's a the weird subplot with him and the this neighbor lady that he cuts the lawn for. And then she takes advantage of him kind of when he's stupid. But then he gets super smart and is like, come on into the VR lab and then we'll have like the sexiest of sexy times. And then he, like, in yeah. the machine becomes a monster and is doing horrible stuff to her and, like, essentially puts her in, like, a sex coma forever after that. 
really strange subplot to it. Um, but one of the highlights is remember the FBI agent, the brother-in-law in Breaking Bad is in it. Um, and he's kind of the head of the military. Oh yeah, that, Dean. Um, he was himself. He was good. He, he's great. And Dean Norris. Okay, yeah. Dean Norris. And if you go back and you watch just about any 80s movie, he was in it. <laughs> I mean, he was in like Lethal Weapon 2. I mean, the guy was just around. Um, but you know what? What I wanted uh, to question was like, do you do you see Lawnmower Man as like an updated version of uh, Flowers for Algernon? Oh, that's interesting. Um, it does have similarities. You know the yes. um, the idea of, of of someone who's not intelligent and then who at, at a rapid pace becomes right. the most intelligent. Yes, yes. Uh, that's a really good comparison. I do see that. And that's why I hated also, to admit it while I was watching it. I'm like, this could be done again better. This yes. could become more and believable it's probably, you know, and better done. Probably should be. And probably should be because it's such an iconic name, you know, but the execution of the oh, film yeah. is just so piss poor. You have the worst graphics. I don't know if you remember how uh, once the lawnmower man is able to become like a CG image that's anywhere in the yeah. real world, he's able to kill people essentially by turning them into vibrating bubbles and then they just float, <laughs> float away. Uh, it, it's really classic Stephen King. We all float yeah. down here. Touche, <laughs> touche. <laughs> we all float. But I could see them doing that same effect with like this kind of like string theory, taking advantage of like all the vibrations. They could pull yeah. that off way more effectively than was done I think in that film. This is a job for the internet. Whoever's <laughs> listening out there, let's get some sort of campaign going to remake the Lawnmower That'd Man. Be awesome. Uh, because I think the thing about this movie that hurt it so bad was that they weren't there yet with the technology, so, like too. you were just saying. Yeah. Um, and the, the performances, thing... like it was a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, having, well, there's that. Too. I mean, they got the language that they're, they're using the R word back then willy nilly for, for the oh, character. And yeah. it was just uncomfortable the way it was played. I feel like it didn't, didn't work. It didn't work. They'd have to take it a little this different is... direction. This is at a time when Stephen King was maybe doing too many drugs. Yes, for sure. Because what I want to say is, well, also this all like his stories from that time have to deal with like paranoia. But do you have you ever seen Maximum Overdrive? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, so this is Stephen King's, I believe, his directorial debut. And even Stephen King admits that he doesn't remember making this movie because he was doing so much coke. Oh my God. But this movie was is about a, a comet um, passing Earth, and um, it turns all appliances into uh, living oh beings. You know, like and it stars Emilio Estevez. It's a really fun movie, <laughs> and it, it basically, it takes place at a truck stop, and um, I think that's called like. Uh, Dixie boy or something and all the appliances are trying to kill humans and there's this massive semi truck that's you know it's it's really over the top but was based also on a Stephen King short that's and I really interesting imagine because I was doing a little research I wasn't able to watch the episodes but there's one episode of Twilight Zone that sounds very similar to that it didn't involve a comet but it has to do with all appliances suddenly becoming sentient oh, and attacking sure. their, their yeah. users sentient thank you I 
obviously not living beings, but yes, right, it turns the appliances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come at yeah. you with their it's, cords. Uh, yeah. So after Lawnmower Man, I went and I watched Ghost in the Machine, which for some reason I didn't remember at all. Like I, I hadn't seen it, but I didn't remember it being a thing. Did you catch it when it came out in 93? I think I was distracted no, by Jurassic no. Park in 93 that I didn't catch it. Um, but it does have Margot Bitter, <laughs> um, which, you know, from Indiana Jones fame, it was interesting to see right. her in a horror. And she was pretty much the highlight of it. I said, you got a you got a serial killer that kills people based on what the, the person he killed last their address book. This is when people actually used to write everybody's yeah. address in an address book. So he'd go around he and just to. like completely destroy everyone in the subsequent address books well somehow he he dies in a graveyard of course in a car crash and now he <laughs> is attached to the new program for ms dos that <laughs> allows you to have a digitized phone book so of course he has the phone book of margot kidder and her little brat kid who's using really rudimentary vr too <laughs> and he starts killing sure. off the, their buddies and their family um, oh, the other highlight of this one, beyond Margot Kidder, is the mom from Arrested Development, Bluth, is in it. And she's oh, a delight okay. to see um, so much younger and equally as hilarious, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't think of her name, but she is amazing and recently passed away. Uh, um, that's that's a, uh, that's almost worth watching the movie it just is. for her. The kid is really, really annoying. Um, you'd, you'd recognize some of the secondary players, too. If you remember from The Burbs, kind of the jolly, uh, larger dude who's kind of goofy, he's in it as like yeah. a boss, a really serious role, that it didn't suit him in this. <laughs> but in the way that I felt Lawnmower Man could be redone, Ghost in the Machine should be forgotten forever. And Well, both of these movies you're talking about, it, it's it's funny. It, it's like people were writing about the fear of technology right. turning against them. It, it's, I mean basically the, the today's theme but it's so funny though that you in the 90s when certain things were being um just more readily available like using mm -hmm. a computer uh and then you know what you know what it's turned into a horror story <laughs> uh evil address book uh spirit uh yeah didn't work didn't work and then uh, the following year uh, a film called brain scan came out I was excited yes. about it because it had a really good premise. Ultimately, it's a VR interactive CD-ROM disc that's sent to your house as a kid. And Edward Furlong is our lead in this one. Yeah, yeah. He tosses it in, and he and, has uh, a very realistic experience of like living out uh, uh, being a killer, being a murderer. But of course, he has been hypnotized by the flashing screen, and he is actually doing these murders, which in yeah. itself had potential. But then they throw in this like Howie Mandel ridiculous trickster character <laughs> who the trickster, the trickster, right, the trickster with the most absurd hair. And he just like ruins any hope for this movie to have any chops because he comes in there with a ridiculous voice, ridiculous look and is like the corporeal being that's also able to jump in and out of the TV uh, that's pressuring Edward Furlong into doing. Yeah, well, basically, they were trying to create a new Friday uh, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, he is the trickster is Freddy Krueger. Yes. Instead of your dreams, he's coming out that's of exactly, technology. That's the best way to put it. It was one hundred percent. Yeah, Freddy yeah. Krueger and VR, but uh, it sucked. 
Yeah. It was really, really bad. But the one upside uh, of it was Frank Langella. I was shocked he's to see so him. There he is as the detective uh, who's sussing uh, out what Edward Furlong's up to. There's one thing you could say about that man is that he'll probably, you know, with any performance, he will commit to it in the most ridiculous, like, like you should, like you should, but that man is a committed actor. So he will sell the hell out of brain scan. Yeah. I mean, decent premise, get rid of the trickster, more Langella, and you would have had something worth watching. But I do think it, it could explain why Edward Furlong just disappeared because it was, it was an embarrassing role to be. <laughs> Well, it's like it's Pet Cemetery too, as well. Long, it really does have his own like vibe to him, and just wasn't able yeah. to apply it to anything beyond Terminator. It's a bummer. Let's jump to the that end of the nineties because you watched this one, yes. right? Recently, uh, uh, Existence, another Cronenberger. Yes, and I will say this about this movie: is that if it came out a year earlier it would have been huge. I know. Yeah. This movie came out right after the matrix. Did right. it not? Yes. And the 13th floor. So you have three films that are coming out around the same year, all with the same premise. Yeah. But I like I mean, that much better than the matrix. Sue me. Oh man, that's, you just broke the internet. So all the people listening to this, you got actual actors, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, that are, interesting characters you do you do you have uh somebody who's, who's just you know hitting it you know jude law right um and i, I don't know if, if this was before or after Ms. tell to mr ripley but if it was after it i think he was had just come off of a, a nominated performance yeah. so you've got jude law you've got jennifer jason Lee always good in a always good but in a role we haven't seen right. her in usually as this um um almost like a sharon stone yeah. you know like this uh, uh there's a better term for it. i was gonna say like the the, the sex appeal yeah, she's to like her a like sultry like, alpha yes is the best way to thank put you. it that is ultimately the, yeah. she's the one that is designing these vr games but what i love about yeah. it because it is Cronenberg is the, the device itself. So imagine like an Xbox that looks like a uh, wiggly uh, <laughs> kidney, you know? Yeah. What do you, how do you describe this thing that you like sit on your knee and then you plug it in? It's into... very sexual looking, you know what I mean? Yes. It looks like, flesh, oh, I mean, and then it gets stuck into a port uh, in your, the bottom of your spine. So it's also this port at the bottom of the spine is. <laughs> You could say that. It might even be like a butthole, That's really. True. But there's might, a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, touching a it. Lot, a lot of lube, lubricating it, too. Lubing it up, you know, very over <laughs> the top sexual acts happening to this hole. Lubing up, yes. Uh, yeah. That being said, I I just I love this film because it really is so unpredictable. I felt like it kept taking us in oh, directions yeah. that I never ever this, thought it would movie has you guessing the entire time yeah. what is real right. you know and, and then the, the the little details i don't even know if they're little but the things that i was picking up is that um and i think they were like thrown out there for cronenberg to like give you clues along the way but like the motel is just titled motel oh my um yeah that's supposedly like in a, the real world right uh, or no that's within no, the sim okay 
uh, that's within, and and I think everything within has very generic names. I mean, um, Willem Dafoe's oh, name is Gas. That's, <laughs> that's uh, right. I mean, I mean these these names that are just given are just so generic, uh, but that have you questioning what's going on. You know, that's right. Oh, and Willem was the one that ultimately who wanted to put a, a legal jack in their back, right? A legal port. Yeah, but then he turned out yes. to be a nefarious person himself. Yes. And it had all these cute uh, little, like, uh, beings in it, like little creepy crawly things that were, like, cute. I was like yeah. Wes Anderson on a- acid kind of characters from Life Aquatic. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the cute little things in Jurassic Park, too, that don't end up being, like, all that cute. But, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this 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 movie, like I said, would have done better mm-hmm. if it had come out just a little bit. You could tell, like that, if you look at Christopher Nolan, um, Inception could have been inspired by this. You know, yeah. like questioning reality, what's real, what's, uh, what's, real, what's not. Um, but with just really great cast, uh, really great premise. Really interesting body horror. I mean, the gun that is like bones that shoots teeth. Oh my gosh! It's like never is, seen it before. Is disgusting. It's gross and uh, cool. Jude Jude Law like nibbles on it like a chicken right? wing to expose it at one time. Like yeah. it's super gross, but you can't look away. <laughs> super super gross. But that's Cronenberg. Right. Like that's him. Um. It, 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 it almost i don't want to say almost ruined his career but it almost um set, i'd say it set him back hmm. i don't think he he had gotten he it didn't make money uh i, I looked up i looked this up it, it had a 15 million dollar budget it only made like 3 million wow. um 2.9 or wow. something like that in its release he, he you know he took him a while before he kind of came back and i think his his comeback movies were not cronenberg films right. they were eastern history promises of violence. And, and history of yeah. violence eastern promises you know those were the movies that put him into like the box office again yeah. but uh i would say this you know this movie could have been as big as his other film the fly mm-hmm. you know if it was not surrounded by the matrix and uh there's another movie i think that came out around the same time that this sort of like you know overshadowed it yeah it is a shame because of the three that were the big name ones to me existence is the richest it's the most dynamic and yeah of course at the time i loved the matrix have i rewatched it again going into the new one that just came out it doesn't hold up the same man it's not well let's let's talk about that similarity to this movie because i almost feel like this movie inspired the matrix four or whatever we're calling it you know the idea of creating this video game that deals with um reality it's more meta Uh, existence is way more meta which now the new matrix deals with too yeah that's absolutely but one would not exist without the other perhaps right um, it's, it, I'm glad you brought up the fly because we kind of did skip that one, and that is technically a, we a technology did. horror as well. It is. Um, also, you could say that it, the fly, you know, it's a remake, is original. Like that might have been tech, but that was sci-fi more than yeah. than tech horror. I feel like Cronenberg's had definitely more horror elements. Just oh yeah, teeth yeah, falling the body out. Horror. Oh my gosh, the hair, the fly hair popping oh. out. Ooh. 
Yeah, that gave me the willies, and that holds up. I, I rewatch the fly every other year because, oh my gosh, just Jeff Goldblum at the table with her, just putting sugar packet after sugar packet after sugar packet oh into my his God. coffee is uh, that that's such a great little speech. <laughs> it's, there. it's alarming. It really is. It is it alarming. Really is. Well, let's start wrapping it up a little bit. Do a little speed through yeah. the rest of the films that we kind of wanted to highlight. Uh, yes. We both tackled Pulse. There's two pulses: one Japanese from 2001, and then the 2006 new one with uh, newish one with Kristen Bell. Uh, you watched the new one, and what's your take? Oh man, it was bad. It was bad. It, it was also, I think, uh, it suffered from technology some some of the same way that Lawnmower Man did because it was dealing with something that has changed and advanced so much it's dealing with the internet and what about the idea of you know ghosts trying to contact us beyond the dead through the internet um and 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 just really not good and the the crazy thing is is like you had a pretty solid cast yeah you had some really fun actors who were like had a comedic background the look was even pretty decent you know i mean wes craven was was a co-writer of it Oh, Which boy. is frustrating, yeah, because it it was didn't live up to expectations. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spend too much no. time on it because it's it's not worth. I mean, it. I'll admit, I started uh, the new one and I got maybe a quarter of the way through it, and this was after I started the Japanese version, and I gave it considerably more time. Like I got at least halfway through it, and with the exception of like the ambiance and the tone. I just right. wasn't into it. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, really attach. It's it's very dated, and I think that's the problem. Is like you know maybe if I saw it when it came out, I would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. But now when you go back and you watch something, and like the music doesn't make sense, mm. and and mm. the technology of like the dial up and the and the and the cell fo- the flip phones or Motorola razors, whatever they had, right? It just it's just nope. don't let- I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's maybe why it's such a smaller. Uh, subgenre is because it's hard to make it last. It's hard to that give it life, like beyond the epoch in which it was released. Yeah, like an evergreen type of, of uh, idea. Right. Um, it, it, it's exactly it. Like that is exactly it. It's you can't get a new generation to watch something that they don't necessarily understand. Mm. You know, they're going to question. Well, why didn't they do this? Why did they do that? Because they couldn't. Yeah. Because they had. They had to, you know, get a better cell phone signal to do anything, you know. No kidding. Um, we got, we got to just <laughs> mention the ring. I think is one of the, it's probably top three tech horror. Yeah, one of the yeah. top horror movies of all time for me is the ring. Um, now, are you talking about the original or the I'm remake? I'm talking about the Sarah Naomi Michelle. Watts one because I haven't actually seen oh, the. Oh, OG. sorry, the no, Naomi Watts. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. It's funny because uh, somebody else recently got that mixed up. The, the Grudge and the Ring and Paul. The Grudge and the Ring. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, loved it. Did you like the newer one with like the uh, viral video? I didn't one? watch it. Okay, I didn't it's, watch it's it. Worth a look. I didn't. I don't. It's obviously, don't I think I was. I think I was just like, why, why, why? Yeah, Rings. <laughs> I think it's just called Rings. But I, sh- I should give it a shot. Yeah, I should. Uh, yeah, great concept. Uh, that's definitely worth a rewatch. Is, is, it's on my list to rewatch. Uh, one that's on my list that's fairly new that I haven't seen, but I'm desperate to see it is Upgrade. Have you seen Upgrade? Love Upgrade. I'm dying. Tell Love me why it. I need to watch it. Upgrade is a movie that um, it's a passion film that the director 
had a chance to make in between movies he was hired oh, to make. Okay. You know, he ha- he had the time to do something he really wanted to do. Uh, Logan Marshall Green, really great performance, really great idea that, you know, it's a revenge movie. It, it, it feels like an 80s movie, like a RoboCop type film. Uh, but a man who is paralyzed uh, and his wife was murdered by mysterious reasons, um, he's a paraplegic now, is given another chance to have this upgrade done to his body because it benefits the doctor who doesn't have somebody to test on. Right. And it benefits, you know, Logan Marshall Green's character for having a second chance. And he's going to use that second chance to figure out what happened and why was it happened to them. It's really, it really, 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 really fun. Right. Because. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the, um, I'd say it's sci-fi action, but the, the kill scenes are horrific okay. and, and, and a horror fans um, liking, nice. you know, you, you will. Yeah. Cool. Very fun, very fun movie. Well, that was 2018. That same year, um, another one of my recent faves, and at least for now, it's still very relevant, is Cam. About a Cam girl um, whose account gets usurped by a doppelganger. Ultimately, this person, thing, whatever it is, that takes over her account, she's blocked out of it, and is doing better than she did. Getting way more hits, way more viewers, yeah. going up in the ranks, but it's driving her nuts because yeah. she doesn't know who's this person that looks exactly like me. Uh, and at the same time, nobody wants this your identity right. stolen. Essentially, exactly. Um, then of course she starts to wonder. Maybe it's one of my former fans or, or one of my one of my viewers, my loyal viewers that had something to do with it. And you meet right. that character, and he knows about these replicas. I guess it's not just happening to her. Um, but in the end, it's still it's still kind of left up in the air. We were talking about how it, just was, it didn't like pin down what the hell was going on. Yeah, yeah. The ending is a bit confusing and maybe not as strong as it could have been or should have been. Yeah, I, I would say I would like because the concept was so good and original. I remember I, I uh, slept on this. Like I didn't watch this when it first came out. It was it was like so popular. Everyone was talking about it. You got to watch Cam. It's on Netflix. And I'm like, it's about a Cam girl. I'm like, uh, like uh, do I want? I, 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 She's a demented do I Cam girl. Watch that? Even before she had her yeah. uh, account usurped, she was doing yeah. very graphic, horrific things to uh, keep viewers to that was her yeah, content yeah. was like murderous stuff or faux murderous yeah. stuff i guess is the better way to put it that's the whole idea right of the story is like what are you willing to do to succeed uh and build your own audience even though it means doing really really terrible things and is technology allowing us to do those things Ugh. or forcing us yeah. to do those things and it's a great uh actress the lead actress is the Girl from Handmaid's Tale who loses an eye, uh, you really get to see her do something she doesn't do on Handmaid's Tale. She's uh, she's very very dynamic. I I, I enjoyed great that performance. performance. That was great. Yeah. So uh, let's jump to 2020 where there was three offerings that I'm uh, familiar with. Both of us love Host. Tell me about when you watched Host. Yeah. Oh, I watched Host during quarantine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was a time when I think we were all kind of going a little crazy, a little bit of cabin fever, really itching for something new to watch. And you've got this director who took advantage of the situation um, 
you know, playing within his limitations to his strengths, he had uh, to direct actors out of their homes and how to, to do these scenes. And they used something that everybody sort of was forced right. to use within Zoom. You know, we were all on Zoom communicating with each other, whether whether it was for work, whether it was to just stay in touch with your friends. And what a great opportunity to take that so and, and it, will, it will age well too, I think. I think so. But in that moment, something that was so popular and common, uh, and turn it into a, a story that that was one safe to shoot, two really well executed, mm-hmm. and three just fun, just, just really the whole fun aspect of seeing somebody being helpless but seeing what's going on to them. It's done yeah. so well. To me, like they, yeah, they as a voyeur, you know, the same potency as Paranormal Activity, but in this new yeah. Zoom paradigm. That that to me is yeah the closest thing compared to. Yeah, and and the thing about it though is another one of its strengths is that there's something to look at the entire True. time. True. You know, uh, sometimes in Paranormal Activity, yeah, yeah, but sometimes in Paranormal Activity, the camera is just like in a wide right. shot, and you're waiting for something to happen. And it gets kind of slow with the pacing, but with with a Zoom call, there's something to watch at all times. Plus, it's very short, if I remember. It's only like 65, 70 minutes. It's just over yeah, an hour, it, so that kind of helps, too. Really, really along. tight. It was just tight, you know? Like, uh, I, I can't wait to rewatch it. Yeah, me too. That's definitely on my rewatch list. Um, one that's not on my rewatch list, but I'm glad I watched it once, came out that same year, called Rent-A-Pal. A very strange film about a guy who rents a videotape that's pretty much offering him companionship where the guy, there's a guy that just talking directly into the screen and he kind of provides a faux friendship where he like leaves dead space for you to answer him. So this guy is watching this tape and rewatching this tape, getting more and more attached to this character. But then of course this this character starts talking beyond the script you know what i mean and directly at him and knows him and would you say that the character is drawn to the tape because he's lonely oh to he begin is with? one of the saddest sacks okay. of shit you'd ever see in a horror movie honest <laughs> to goodness they do it really well he, he performs it well um because that's what's so tragic tragic about it is he actually does have a shot with this girl toward the end of it and because of his uh digital pal doesn't go yeah. doesn't go the way he wanted to and that's when it wow. really starts to get uh horror e so yeah watch it that's but great. i don't know if it's yeah. rewatcher yeah that's um it, it's it's funny because it's it sounds so much like this scene that they did in the 60s at, at second city it's called uh phonopal and it's mm. brilliant piece by actor paul sand who is you know acting with himself but he's got a, a record uh, a vinyl and he's interacting with it because he too is lonely and this this vinyl tape or re- recording is interacting with him, but it, it's it sounds just like this. Oh. It's yeah, really really cool. Like, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And what was good about it is you don't recognize anybody in it. I, I you know what I might take Love that back. That. The guy who is the um, pal, the rent a pal, he's recognizable, but for some reason I can't think of who that actor is. I should know him, but that pop up? I'll uh, I'll definitely check him? that okay. out. Oh, wait, is Rent-A-Pal, is it with Will Wheaton? That's who it is, Will Wheaton. Thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he's the Rent-A-Pal, yeah. which is appropriate, given what a fanboy oh, he is. Oh, that's great. He's so fun. He's the that best, so great. best part about it, probably. Yeah, he's, he's very yeah. funny in it. And then finally, to round out our list here is Spree, which is probably one of the most recent ones I've watched involving 
tech horror. Yeah, yeah. This was something you actually um, had turned me on to. I, uh, I didn't know anything about it. And then you described it and it sounded like a blast. It was a blast. It's, it's, uh, and, and the actor from Stranger right. Things. Steve from, is it Steve? Steve from Stranger Things? Yeah. yeah. Um, His name is Joe something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's like from like the Chicago land. No. He's from like Arlington Heights. Joe Carey. Joe Carey. Okay. Yeah, he um he is so good in this. He really is. He yeah. showed range basically big time. He does it yeah. in Stranger Things alone. His characters evolved a lot in Stranger oh, Things, yeah. but this is different. He carries this movie though. He, he carries this entire movie and and at times, you know, he's by himself. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time he's got um, you know, he he drives a rideshare. Mm-hmm. He drives a rideshare, but he also has his own um YouTube live channel stream, and first yeah. live stream channel and uh it, it's something world, isn't it? Like uh yes, it's his character's name in the yeah. world. But he's uh, he's kind of he's kind of a cheesy guy. He's not somebody people really would want to watch he kind of is catching on to that so his gimmick is well we'll start killing people and live streaming it uh kind of like cam in the sense that you've got you know this idea of people just watching horrific acts um not necessarily like they know it's true or not but they're still watching it and they're encouraging things to happen um uh, there's actually uh, we haven't talked about this. We were talking about upcoming TV shows uh, earlier, you and I. And there's that new Korean zombie oh, show. Yeah, that's out on uh, Netflix. It's it's out. I'm I'm like on episode five or oh, it's something. Good. But take they, it? it's fun. Okay. It's very right. fun. Yeah. And there's an episode where they. It's cool. Like in the middle of this series, they introduce like a new character on the side. And he reminds me a lot of Joe Carey's character. He is somebody who is live streaming, but on purpose puts himself into harm's way just to get the views, which is <laughs> good. Well, it, it, it's it's that that idea is so scary because who is going to? Uh, it's a matter of time before someone live streams right. something horrific, and then we're not allowed Sadly, to. Uh, yeah, I mean, but we're not allowed to like enjoy this as entertainment, right. you know, anymore. We won't be because it'll be too horrific. But while we can, uh, being a passenger along this ride and this movie is, Granted, is a blast. Most of the passengers that I remember have it coming. Kind of, <laughs> it's like kind of deserve. You're not really it. Yeah. feeling bad for the people he takes out because they're pretty awful for the most part. Yeah, like one guy I think is like a white supremacist. Yes, yeah. There's a yeah. Karen. He Stuff like that. that. Um, Frankie Grande he takes out. So if you're not a fan of Frankie Grande, you can get to see him. <laughs> Ariana Grande's uh, brother. He's he's one of the passengers. So. He gets taken out good. Big Brother fans uh, would know him from season 15. Um, so if you want it, if wow. you ever dreamed of seeing him brutally killed, this is the movie for you. It, it's sure fun. Opportunity. It's a blast. And it's like comedy horror. It's really a way to look at it. Yeah. It doesn't take itself too yeah. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's um well, we there's one more. Oh. And I don't know if it's something that you've watched, but the only reason I'm gonna bring it up uh is Possessor. Oh yes! I saw Possessor at the music box. I, I liked Possessor. And the old, yes, same here. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because of the weird similarities to uh Existence. Well, you it, know who the director is. Well, it's Brandon Cronenberg. My my 
my point is that it's almost in a way like a sequel hmm. um in the sense that uh, well first of all jennifer jason lee right. is in both films True. um and in these positions of power um you know setting up people to like get killed essentially yeah. and, and possess her creating this really weird i don't know I mean, I, it starts I, as I'll like an assassin body hopping situation. yes yes body hopping yeah it's a really hard movie to explain mm -hmm. what's going on because when you're watching it you're also uh the performances are fantastic Very but cool. you're also um wondering what's going on the entire time like a mystery but <laughs> what's going on with the cronenberg family <laughs> i know there's trauma there there's something in the water don't in you think don't you think there was a time where Brandon Cronenberg is in grade school and the art teacher calls home and says, Mr. Cronenberg, we got to talk to you about Brandon's artwork. It's really, dis <laughs> well, his, really disturbing. His dad not only directs and writes these horrific things, he was a killer in a horror movie from the 80s. David Cronenberg was the... He had a sack on his head and button eyes. Oh, no, yeah. He what was, was that? He, Night something? He was in um, Nightbreed. Night he was... Um, he had a cool name too, but he had that that sack with the button Ooh, eyes. That was horrifying. horrifying. Uh, yeah, and he did a great like job. Pre Coraline like was... button eye thing just works. Oh or... man, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wanted to bring up Possessor because of the the, the similarities. Um, uh, it's and so this, this visceral weird... too. You feel like you're in yeah. it yourself a lot of the time. Like it's yeah, just the, the idea of like are we asleep are we awake um while this is happening what's real what's real right yeah it, and it has that heartthrob that the girls will like from um girls the show girls was uh the boyfriend to yeah William i kind of he's like a days. he's like skeet ulrich is to to johnny depp as <laughs> this guy abbott is to kit harrington yes yes i think that's very <laughs> you know, accurate i I think his name is Abbott or something, but um, you know he's good. He was in Black Bear, which I recently saw, and he was good in that. He's too. great. He's great. Um, I I know we were going to talk about more TV shows, but that might be another episode. That probably I, should I be another got, episode. We got the Archive eighty one that inspired us digging up the films, but we have started to dig up some tech in the uh, TV and stream space too, tech horror, which we yeah. can talk about later. We've yeah, I out. think um. There's a wealth of that, you know, between Twilight Zone and, and um, well, there's a ton of shows. We'll get to it. So that concludes today's episode. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, I also wanted to plug the fact that we put these episodes up on YouTube on Fridays. So if you want to follow us on social media, um, these usually go. Uh, I'm playing around with the time release on Friday nights because uh, we're here in Chicago and I'm playing mm. with the idea that, like, Maybe it's good to put out in 6 p.m. here, maybe 7 p.m., but uh, check out uh, the Sea Monsters YouTube channel, uh, a link to it on our Twitter, and uh, you can kind of laugh along with us and, and, and see our, our stupid mugs. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, adios all.